From the Department of Surgery at the University of Wisconsin, welcome to The Surgery Set, a podcast that explores the field's latest innovations with the pioneers at its cutting edge. I'm your host, Jonathan Kohler, an assistant professor in pediatric surgery here in Madison, home of the Badgers. Thank you for joining us. Dr. Tom Brazelton is an old friend and a critical care pediatrician here at UW. We last heard from him on the surgery set during the early days of our COVID response when he was wearing his hat as medical director for UW Health's telehealth program. We actually recorded this interview before that, talking about another of his leadership roles here as the medical director for our pediatric transport team. To transport critically ill and injured children, our team of pediatric transport specialists works in tandem with UW MedFlight to move kids to the American Family Children's Hospital from all around Wisconsin and our neighboring states. In this final episode of our three-part transport series, Dr. Brazelton joined me to discuss his many years of experience in medical transport, the important distinctions between ground and air transport, and the unique benefits and challenges of a service dedicated to the special transport needs of children. Dr. Brazelton, welcome to the surgery set. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. You are the uh, the third of our th- three uh, guests talking about transport and how we move patients around the state of Wisconsin, which I'm learning more and more um, we do in a, in a pretty unique and special way. And you are the, you're the, you're the pediatric piece. I am. I am. I, like you, started my pre-medical career as in EMS um, and did five years, almost five years of that in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. And then oh, wow. sort of always came back to it in every part of med school, residency, fellowship. And then when I came out here, I really came because there was the promise of building the children's hospital. And that has kept me here. And as you know, and are a huge part of, this has been nothing but a success and great to be a part of. Um, But when I first came, the other attraction was that there were two beautiful helicopters and the pediatric intensive care physicians like me actually flew and went out to referring hospitals and picked up sick kids and I loved doing that. We flew anywhere from five to ten times a month and I don't know why it took me so long to figure it out but one evening they called um, from Reedsburg or Richland Center or something and said hey doc we needed you to come get this sick kid and I said, I'll be right there. And I called up to MedFlight Communications. And I said, let's go. We got a kid out in Richland Center or Reedsburg. I said, have you looked out the window? Because we're not going anywhere. And sure enough, there was a big storm out there. And I had not looked out the window. Um, and so I said, OK, well, let's get the ambulance and go. And guess what? We didn't have any ambulances. <sighs> and that started me down a long career um, that has been another 15 years in the making. Um, what it did was focus my attention both on what are pediatric EMS resources in the state of Wisconsin, and I was head of the EMS for Children program for quite a while, but it also focused my attention very quickly on our children's hospital and the fact that we did not have a ground solution for transporting sick and injured infants and children, and how 
could a children's hospital in good conscience um, grow without that? So in 2004, I was given permission to start what is now the Cheetah Program. Um, and we have had a lot of ebbs and flows, um, but overall it's been a pretty successful project to provide basically neonatal or pediatric critical care uh, resources and trained personnel in the pre-hospital or, or rural hospital setting. So the principle is that we get a team to you as fast as possible um, and there that's where the rub lies oftentimes if we can't fly that is equipped with a critical care team. There are limitations um, to what they can do but for the most part they are highly experienced um, at resuscitation um, so ability to get IV access um, they come with mechanical ventilators um, provide uh, endotracheal intubation and other advanced airways if needed we do a lot of non-invasive positive pressure ventilation because we found that with infants and young children and respiratory distress we don't need to intubate a lot of them we can just start them on some degree of positive pressure um, but we also have um, isolates, nitric oxide, and uh, active warming for hypoxicemic encephalopathy infants. Um, and we take a NICU provider, whether that's a nurse practitioner or a fellow or an attending. Um, we can take PICU fellow, or if necessary, as you've heard from Mike Stewart and others, um, we uh, will fly a med flight doc, an ER doc. Um, but we, the core of the team is a NICU and PICU trained nurse and respiratory therapist and that really is the what I believe is the best combination. Um, the respiratory therapist brings you know a, a great deal of skills in airway management and uh, respiratory therapy um, and the nurse brings assessment, IV access, medications, um, and together they really form what is a, a, a synergistic team that performs a dance uh, when they're out there. They, they get to know each other so well um, and they cross-train in, in many aspects of, of critical care um, such that their roles become almost seamless when they're, when they're out there. And that's really been the goal is to have a very high-functioning team that can get there quickly and then do an assessment and bring back what is hopefully a more stable kid. Um, and this is where some of the issues arise um, with our providers um, who feel they've done everything they can for that child and now it's time to just take that kid away. Um, and that's what they get when they call EMS providers. Um, what they, much to their chagrin, Cheetah comes and says, we can't put this kid in the back of the rig. They're too unstable. There's too much work yet to be done. We think we can get them better. Um, and they stay and they play, although we would argue they're not playing. They're, they're creating or getting that child to a better spot. And that's something that, that I've heard a lot about from the adult side as well is, is it's way more than transport, right? It's stabilizing transport and that stabilization that like getting them to a place where getting into a helicopter or getting into an ambulance is going to be a safe proposition for the time it's going to take to drive and it's, you know, an hour flight or four hours in the snow, right? right. Um, right. How do you get them tuned up? And that I think is really something I'd not considered because like you said, I come from an EMS background as well. And, and we had a principle of like, you know, get there, get the patient in the ambulance, get them to a hospital. And that, you know, I remember Mike Copas in Seattle when I was training there, he had sort of invented like the Seattle paramedic system, which is remarkable. Um, but their whole principle is, you know, it's like 
seven minutes to get there, seven minutes on scene, seven minutes till you're back at Harborview. And that's not the approach that we're taking in Wisconsin, mm-hmm. which is obviously where, where it's never going to be seven minutes back. It's right? never seven minutes back yeah. unless we're coming from merit or quickly. Yeah. Um, but no, we really, um, that is the, the fundamental difference is this is true critical care transport. And what many providers who call us don't realize, and we hope that they soon realize it, um, is that we are bringing the ICU to that child. We are really providing definitive ICU level care in their ERs. Um, and we really do need that time to make sure that those interventions are going to last for the estimated journey back. Um, it is no guarantee that we're going to get back either. Um, it is the most dangerous subspecialty in medicine because you are at the mercy of nature and, and unfortunately other drivers if you're on the road. Ambulance transport by ground is far more dangerous than, than flight transport. Hmm. Um, and so it really is, you know, turning on the lights and sirens is something we, we really try not to do because it creates a wake effect among uh, civilian drivers, which leads to six accidents uh, among civilians for every one ambulance. I never accident. thought about that, but, but sure, that makes sense, are, right? Are very, very common. Um, and so, turning on lights and sirens doesn't mean we're going to go any faster. And these are, you know, they're they're vehicles that were built by cabinet makers, you know, who built a box and stuck it on the back of a truck chassis. They're not designed for anything, really, yeah. <laughs> but going the speed <laughs> limit. Um, so once you're in the back of the ambulance, you actually cannot deliver good care. You can't hear breath sounds. Uh, you I'd love to see someone try to start an IV in a, a two-year-old child, especially when who's hypovolemic, uh, you know, still in a shock state, um, uh, you know, it, while you're traveling down the road. Um, we right, intubate a 24-weeker, in, right? Intub- right, intubate in, in the back of a, a helicopter. I mean, this, this situation, you're so cramped, you can, you can barely do anything. So the transport itself has to be of a more stable patient, or at least one that you know you've done everything you can to get better, and now it's just time to go, and you know you've got to get back. Our providers do not want to be in outside ERs any longer than they have to, trust me. Um, They want to get back here as fast as possible, but they want to get back with the best the child in the best shape they possibly can. Um, I've been out to referring hospitals that you know really had issues, um, and one was around the resuscitation of a newborn in which our team was in that nursery for six hours. Um, wow. That's how long it took to resuscitate and stabilize that infant before we got him back. Now, what in that time, what our team did is assess whether a surgical emergency existed or not, because that would change our our paradigm very quickly. You know, mm-hmm. if 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 that infant needed you in an AFCHOR, um, believe me, you know, we'd be moving very quickly. Right. Um, so a lot of the, the diagnosis, you know, may be complete by the time we get there, but sometimes isn't. Um, and so there's a, you know, there's a great deal of, of uh, reassessment that needs to occur um, and then trust that the interventions you put in place are going to withstand the duration of and whatever other exigencies exist on the way back. Yeah. Where do you see the line between when it's appropriate to have like the local yeah. EMS or That's local paramedic versus like dispatching us? Because I've been yeah. on, yeah. in party to conversations, you know, where sometimes someone calls and they're like, we've got a 10 year old kid to otherwise healthy with appendicitis yeah. who's perfectly stable. Do you guys want to send yeah. Cheetah? Yeah. And other times, you know, I, you get a call and it's like, oh, we've got a 24 week 
creamy with free air in the abdomen who seems to have really bad pulmonary hypertension, we were going to just send him by our local paramedics. Is that okay? And, and obviously like there's, there's a time for you and a time when like there are Absolutely. other groups that would be perfectly capable and of those, managing. And that is a, is a really, um, it's, that is the $64 million question. Um, what I tell folks is that once that child is in your care as a referring provider under EMTALA, the laws governing the transfer of patients between facilities, the Emergency Medicine, uh, Medical Treatment and Active Labor Act, you as the treating physician, there are three components to EMTALA. One is that every patient that arrives at your doorstep um, as a Medicare receiving facility, is um, they have a right to a medical screening exam. Um, in which that provider has to assess whether an emergency exists or not. If an emergency does exist, this is part two, they are required to provide that emergency treatment to stabilize that patient. What people forget about is part three, which is that if that patient is deemed to require resources uh, and medical care that they cannot provide there, they are required to transfer that patient, that's part one of number three, and part two is at the level of care that that patient requires. So to take a 24-week-old infant with free air um, and bad pulmonary hypertension and put them in the back of a, a basic life support unit, you'd say, forget it. You know, yeah. that makes no sense whatsoever. Put them in the back of even an advanced life support unit that doesn't have the appropriate equipment to manage this, an isolate, much less nitric oxide, and, you know, manage an intubated neonate, or preemie for that matter, you'd say, no way. That doesn't withstand the sniff test or standard of care either. So most of our, in fact, I would argue almost all of our referring providers are not locally equipped to handle and and transfer um, to a higher level of care at the level required that preemie infant. They really have to. Um, the other part of EMTALA in that second part is that, that they are then responsible for the care and management by that ambulance service or transporting agency all the way until that patient reaches our facility. Mm. They are solely responsible for the care en route. So what I remind providers who are a little reluctant to allow for us to bring what is an appropriate level of care to them is that if they want to take that responsibility on that's fine but if they want to relinquish that responsibility i in sending cheetah to them and basically taking the responsibility of the care of that patient as soon as my team leaves their hospital in fact as soon as i arrive with cheetah or cheetah arrives i'm already partially responsible for the care of that child, albeit in their facility. But as soon as we leave, I'm totally responsible now. Yeah. We take full responsibility for the care of that child en route. So we have had patients transported from outside hospitals that we thought were coming in with a bad asthma exacerbation only to find an EMS crew doing CPR as they wheel them into the ICU. You say, what? happened you know what what went wrong because something this is not the patient we thought we were getting yeah so that sending physician is entirely responsible for the care of that patient up until they get to us if they want to relinquish that responsibility it may be worth their weight um, for cheetah to get there and make that assessment and then take that responsibility on to us right like um, they're going to be responsible 
for kind of the same amount of time anyway, right? They're exactly. Gonna, for the time it takes that ambulance to get from their hospital to our hospital yeah. or the time it takes our hospital, our ambulance to get to them. Get to them, exactly. Right? And it's that's not like they're the, getting off the hook any earlier no, for managing this complex and that kid. that is such a great point because yeah. they, they, in their minds, they're calling Cheetah and they see Cheetah as an, a local EMS. And it's going to, the, the definitive care doesn't happen until they get back here to Madison. And that's not the case, as I've right. been saying. We It just it is starts the time, there. It starts there. Yeah. Um, so when they do the math, it's, oh, I got to wait for Cheetah to get here, do whatever they do, and then get them back to you. And it's like, but you don't get it. No, you're just waiting for them to get to you. And then we can, you know, begin to do some other stuff that you're not able to do there. So that's the math that, you know, why are we worth the wait? That's why. Um, you know, the, the, the therapies that Cheetah can offer far exceed what most ERs are able to deliver, especially in terms of respiratory support um, for, you know, sick and infants. And yes. Children. So the crew is a nurse practitioner or... If a NICU patient, if a NICU then patient. A, a provider yeah. would be... Uh, and if and again, we triage. All of these calls are triaged by the medical control physician. So for all NICU transports, that is a neonatologist, an AFCH neonatologist is triaging that call and saying, gosh, you know what? I don't think I need to send a provider. I think just our... Ju-, and I'm not saying just because I'll get to this in a second, but the Cheetah nurse and the Cheetah RT are sufficient team to handle this. Or this kid could go south very quickly if they haven't already. I'm going to send a fellow, a NICU fellow, or a neonatal nurse practitioner, or I'm coming myself. Um, For a PICU patient, we have deemed in the PEDS ICU um, that Cheetah is trained sufficiently to handle anything. Um, There are times where we want a fellow to go along, but for the most part, 99% of our transports, even critically ill, intubated kids, we've said our our Cheetah nurse and, and, and respiratory therapists are, are, are adequate. And this is where I think the misconception from referring physicians is, is that they look at a nurse as, as their nurse and they look at an RT as their RT. And what they fail to un- often understand is that our cheetah nurses and RTs have at least three years of postgraduate PICU and or NICU experience. In fact, our RTs have on average 16 years of experience. Wow. Um, and they go through a very rigorous training. Um, so I like them to the special forces, if you will, um, mm-hmm. that they are, are they're superheroes. They can do um, advanced, um, you know, they can decompress chest, they can put in chest tubes, they can intubate, they can put in LMAs or supraglottic devices. Um, they can, because I don't want to be product specific here. <laughs> Fair enough. Right? <laughs> um, and, um, you know, they can start external jugular umbilical venous lines, things like that, um, and administer a wide range of medication. We carry over 75 medications oh in the gosh. med packs, you know, all ranges of, of um, non-invasive and invasive positive pressure, um, nitric oxide, you know, you name it, prostaglandins, whatever. Um, so they go through on average about a six or seven month training period just to get turned loose to be, you know, start as a cheetah nurse or RT. After already being experienced in After critical already, care. Exactly. Right. So we, we look at transport medicine as its own specialty, um, which is what Mike would say is absolutely the case yep. and why we have a helicopter EMS fellowship here. Um, but we we want our cheetah nurses and RTs to be PICU, NICU, pediatric emergency medicine, and transport trained. So those are kind of so, four subspecialties, if you will, that they need to get 
a, a handle on. Now, granted, they all come together around resuscitation of a critically ill child. They're all NRP stable, cardiac stable, and PALS certified, um, and many of them have ACLS and, and PHTLS and some other things as well. Um, but we have very strict requirements for them, and the training and ongoing competencies involves for the RTs two weeks a year um, in our AFCHORs with our pediatric anesthesiologists. Um, we do a lot of simulation training here um, with them as well. Um, and they're also um, flight crew, so, you know, Cheetah can fly or drive depending on what the needs of the patient are. But we really want to make sure that we're sending, you know, the right team with the right equipment by the right vehicle for the right patient. Um, and then we will transport them to the right facility. Unlike other children's hospitals, um, if you were to call Milwaukee Children's, they'll come get the kid, but they're taking them back to Milwaukee. Um, we will transport patients wherever they need to go. We are not hmm. we're not um, site specific. If oh, you call, I didn't realize that. Yeah, yeah. When you call St. Mary's NICU transport, they'll go get the kid, but they're taking the kid back to St. Mary's NICU. Um, so Cheetah is, we have always said, like MedFlight, we are facility agnostic. We will take patients wherever they need to go, um, wherever the insurance dictates sometimes if yeah. they need to go. But, you know, like the trauma center, we want them to get to the one place they need to go, not a halfway house that then they have to be transported from again. Obviously, you, uh, you're you in medical control, right? You're a physician in the ICU. Um, you've got this delta force of badass RTs and nurses out there who are capable of doing all kinds of things, right? And, and mostly autonomous. But there must be times when you have to be involved as the medical director. It's not with is it with telemetry or yeah. or by phone? How do you make a mental picture and and support this team out in the field? Yeah, it starts when that call comes in initially um, from the access center. Um, we take, as you know, our process for admitting patients to the children's hospital is a little different from the adult hospital. Um, both require an accepting physician, but because we are really interested in making sure that we're triaging the patient to the right place, it's not, oh yeah, just send them and we'll figure it out, come to the ER and I'll see them there. Um, it really is where where does this patient best need to, to go? Is it a you know floor patient, in which case if it's thought to be by, um, by the, the, the access center nurse, that call will go to the hospitalist um, or the subspecialist if it's thought, wow, this kid has a high degree of potential for decompensation or is already decompensated needs an ICU then it's just the triage algorithm is you know if they're less than 28 days it might go through the NICU um, if the NICU deems that, that child is dirty and they don't want them in the NICU then it'll be you know the call will come to the PEDS ICU um, but for basically anything from you know peri newborn to, to 18 years of age um, the PICU serves as medical control for any non-NICU transport so we'll get a good idea on how sick that kid is and what the sort of mental image is and what's been done so far. Um, when we get that report, we page out Cheetah. Um, we give them a report. They then call. And they're in-house, right? They're, they're in-house like to start with. Call. They, yeah, there's a lot of things I mean, that they're doing. Obviously not just sitting but, around but playing Wii, yes, but like They're ready they're to around. go. They're yeah. doing stuff. They're not driving in from home. No, they are our, our, our backup Venus access team for the Children's Hospital, so they're frequently you know putting in IVs on kids that have been poked eight times already. Um, I say that a little tongue-in-cheek because we don't try not to poke kids right. eight times. Yeah. But, you know, the difficult At some point IVs, they're calling Cheetah. Because right. they use ultrasound for doing IVs sure, and stuff like yeah. that. So there's a lot of things that they're doing anyway. But um, but they are 
doing nothing that would keep them from dropping that and getting out the door. Out the door time is on average about 16 minutes. Um, industry standard is 30 minutes, but nobody wants to wait. You know, nobody's waiting to leave, um, but they want to make sure that they're leaving with the right equipment. So we actually have um, our cheetah nurse or RT will call that referring hospital to talk to the nursing nurse provider of that patient. Um, and it may not surprise you, but we sometimes get discrepant views of the child based on those two phone calls. Mm -hmm. So I may have talked to the referring provider, be that a PA, a nurse practitioner, or most often a physician, uh, and then our nurse, uh, cheetah nurse calls and gets a, gets a, the real a story. Report, gets yeah. a real story yeah. from the bedside nurse. Right. And between those two, we get a better idea of, you know, maybe what we're Yeah, what it's, a, it's a corroboration. Yes. Yeah. And then depending on how quickly we can get out to them, and again, we can fly, um, and we can do insertions where we'll fly the team and actually have the ambulance come by ground um, so that we're in, you know, driving back a, a more stable patient. But if we have to fly that kid back, of course, we're going we're gonna to do that. But once there, I get a scene size up, basically. The team calls back and says, okay, here's what's going on. This is what we're seeing. Um, we also have, and Jamie Limjoko and the NICU folks use this a lot, we have VIDYO, V-I-D-Y-O app, which is a, a cloud-based, um, encrypted, safe, you know, HIPAA, basically okayed video conferencing ability so we can see the kid. Um, I've actually had them pick up a kid with severe cardiomyopathy who I was convinced we needed to intubate and looked at, watched them basically with a provider. Um, our EMT driver, the Paratech EMT driver was holding their iPad so I could watch what was going on. And we got so far as delivering everything but the paralytic for rapid sequence induction. And then the kid got all better once we sedated him enough and wow. had him on positive pressure. We actually oh. didn't need to intubate. And I'm glad we didn't because if we'd given him a paralytic, we might have killed him. Um, their cardiomyopathy was that bad. Wow. Um, yeah. So that was one life saved. Right. Another was we used the VidYO um, and they had just intubated an asthmatic. Um, and I was looking at, at through our my screen through their iPad screen at the PAX server screen in the outside hospital and saw bilateral pneumothoraces um, in this freshly wow. intubated asthmatic. So, you know, here again, don't take that kid and put them in the back of an ambulance so they're going to die of tension pneumothorax in right. about five minutes. Yeah. Um, so we put chest tubes in and transported back a more stable kid. So we do have the ability to do video teleconferencing uh, if need be, but most often we we, we find we don't need to. And the one important aspect, and I mentioned it at the beginning, is Cheetah does our triage. They really are a highly effective and accurate system for triaging kids. Um, when our beds are crunched and we really need to put the child in the right area of the hospital, we don't want to tie up a PICU bed if we don't have them, um, kick kids out of the PICU prematurely for a child that may not need to be there. We really need Cheetah to do that triage for us. Um, and we found that their abilities to triage are, are, are significantly better than certainly than folks who, who aren't within our system, um, but even at times better than our own providers. So, um, and they've had that time with them as well. You know, by the time they get back here, we can change the bed. You know, if, if that child does deteriorate en route, then they escalate and say, yeah, this kid we thought was good for the floor needs to come to the ICU after all. Um, but it's really nice to have that continuity that they've seen them. And, you know, one of the things that we've found actually, which has been the most rewarding is the parents who meet the team out there and mm. then 
and you know I can't tell you how many great letters of feedback we get from families that have been picked up by cheetah that say wow thank you so much you know as soon as you arrived i knew i was in good hands and and things like that it's been really rewarding yeah, we for had the a team family like that recently you and i remember where you know they the the dad pulled me aside and said like i just want to tell you like as soon like i it didn't seem like they knew how to manage my fairly significantly injured child um at this, you know, small hospital that just okay. doesn't. I found this up. Oh, Siri's trying to comment here too, but um, you know, he, he was saying it, it seemed like you know this hospital they just weren't used to dealing with kids and they didn't have all the small stuff that yeah. you need for a kid and they were gonna you know the kid needed to be intubated and there was all these things and he's like, your cheetah team showed up and they just kind of took over and that was the first moment I was like I think this is gonna be okay. Yeah. Right, because it's just so different, right? If you don't see sick kids day in and day out, you don't know what sick looks like, and you don't know how to, you know, take a deep breath and say like, okay, it's a kid, he's sick. We're gonna, we know the next five things to do. If those five things don't work, we got fifty more behind them. Right, you know. And this is this is my biggest concern about getting back to those providers who are. I've done everything I can. Now just get them out of my ER and are willing to put these kids in the back of even an ALS or even a critical care transport EMS rig, those teams also are woefully unprepared and undertrained in pediatrics. Mm-hmm. So you're taking a child out of a not so great situation and putting them in an even worse situation just to get them out of your ER faster. To me, that's, I'm gonna stop short of calling it malpractice, but. To me, that is not okay. That you really need to have some humility in this world and know what you may not know, um, and defer to the experts. And that, to me, in 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 that environment, and having lived and worked in that environment, you know, not just in you know meccas of children's hospitals, um, it really is important that we you know bring the best resources to our bedside as quickly as possible. Um, so calling fast and you know calling often is something I highly recommend but just getting them out of your ER because you think you're done with them um, isn't always the best decision to be made especially for that child and family. Yeah and I know that I, you and I uh, both have been involved in a lot of outreach efforts to try to you know, help other facilities be more prepared for children. But there's a demographic problem, which is that there just are not a lot of small children with major health problems in rural communities. And so when they turn up at the critical access hospital that, you know, has 25 beds and one guy on call and, you know, they've got a mom who delivers a 26-week preemie in their emergency department or whatever, there's, there's, you can't expect these folks to know how to manage all of this and that's what we're here for right we're here to be the phone call to say like we will help you yes we we're we're on our way coming as fast (laughs) as we can (laughs) whatever and that may mean like a long drive but we can talk you through it in the process right we can help you from a distance and then when we get there like it's going to be okay yes yeah yeah and we've had some really great leadership changes recently um, that I think we're moving as an organization closer and closer to being more of a full-service tertiary quaternary care center in terms of our retrieval process. Because um, we really, uh, we've been heavily biased towards helicopters. Um, you know, MedFlight started, I don't know, 30 years ago, I guess. And as I heard it, it was the CEO getting a lot of handshakes from referring hospital physicians saying, 
we really like handing off our patients to a, another physician and you know you come in on the wings of angels um, but we've also neglected the ground ambulance piece of it because as we've alluded to in Wisconsin it's not always a beautiful day like it is outside right now um, and we don't have an effective system for helping out those referring hospitals uh, when those patients come in and need you know need that higher level of care um, that could be achieved by ground so that was the initial you know response for Cheetah was let's build the ground system, um, but we've evolved really into needing that air component too. Um, it's been a, it's a disconnect to send an adult trained team for a by air because they go by air for a critically ill child. We really needed and have now have you know the ability to send that neonatal or pediatric team by air and bring them back by air if we have to. And the opening of the third base and portage has been you know it just adds to our the richness of being able to accomplish yeah. that. Um, but we are moving towards, you know, having a ground system um, that will effectively be able to respond as needed. And what's the future uh, for Cheetah? And how does it engage this other, the other hat you wear here, which of course is, is one of the great champions for telemedicine um, here at UW Health. So like, wh where, where are we going to be in five, ten years with, yeah, with our ability well, to, to help kids in the region? I think internally we need a better system for our access center which is doing the best it's can it can but it's still disconnected to some degree from our critical care transport program hospitals that do this well have have a one call does it all um, but it's it's more seamless in terms of getting that appropriate triage and response and a tiered response to those patients as we talked about you know that that maybe not yet perfed appy kid 10 year old who's doing okay maybe a little shocky but doing all right versus that 24 weeker with you know pulmonary hypertension we need a tiered response to those we may be able to you know have a uh, you know paramedic team that is well versed in pediatrics that we have trained up to a level that we could send for that you know Appy that has an IV and maybe needs an extra bolus, um, but to get here reasonably quickly versus you know having an immediate response with a very high level team. Um, so I think we can do a better job both in terms of how we have our system in terms of incoming calls and communication in terms of our tiered response and also where we're going with this um, with Petros and, and Josh, our, our pediatric cardiac surgeons, um, is developing a pediatric ECMO team that it can transport. Um, both of them are willing to fly, so unlike other pediatric and neonatal ECMO teams that will only transport a cannulated infant or child, this is a team that would go out and actually do the cannulation and then fly back with that that patient or come back by ground but most often likely fly um, so that hospital risk really management is going to let our pediatric cardiothoracic surgeons near a helicopter I, that I, just tells you how safe I, our helicopters I, must be well, yeah. they, are very, they are the safest yeah um, but I'd like to see them say no to the cardiothoracic <laughs> surgeons there's that too right yes <laughs> yeah so yes yeah, so we're very excited about where the future is taking us and and ultimately you know we are coming together as two teams um, cheetah and medflight into one UW health critical care transport program and we're very excited about you know what the future brings fantastic well thank you so much for coming over telling us the story kind of completing the the pediatric piece which of course 
as we both know, is the most important piece Absolutely. of any story. Um, <laughs> the so trifecta. Exactly. Getting, uh, finally getting the, the pediatric perspective on our, on our transport series. Um, and it's, uh, as always, just such a pleasure to have a chance to sit back and, and chat with you. Uh, you well, know, we go back a long way, so this do. is awesome. Well, thank you. And thank you for doing this for our referring providers. I know this is, this is a highly valuable project that you're doing, and I'm, I'm thrilled to be a part of it. So thanks, Kyle. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks to Tom Brazelson for joining us. If you want to hear more of our transport series, check out our previous episodes with Phil Jennings, our lead pilot, and Mike Sturwald, the UW Med Flight Medical Director. There are some big changes coming to the surgery set, which I'll be telling you about in our next episode. In the meantime, be safe, be good to your neighbors, and remember to make a plan to vote. Talk to you soon. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher, Overcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Invite your friends to listen in, and if you're feeling generous, please rate us on your favorite podcast app. It really makes a huge difference. Thanks. The Surgery Set is a production of the Department of Surgery at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. This episode was produced by J.P. Swenson and me, Jonathan Kohler. It was recorded by Chris Hansen and edited by J.P. Swenson. Our theme song is On Wisconsin, arranged and produced by Jamie Schmidt. Visit us at surgery.wisc.edu, where you can find links to Grand Rounds, free CME credits, and more. You can also check out the UW School of Medicine and Public Health video library for a wide range of medical education resources at videos.med.wisc.edu. Give our Facebook page a like and follow us on Twitter at Wisc Surgery. And I'm at J.E. Kohler, K-O-H-L-E-R. Please feel free to let us know how we're doing, rate and review us on your podcast app, and don't hesitate to let us know of any topics you'd like us to cover. Until next time, from all of us here at The Surgery Set, thank you for listening. On Wisconsin.